From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and skywarn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. Well, everybody, welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. Uh, this is the Stormfront Freaks podcast. If you happen to be a first-time listener, uh, thanks for stopping by to check us out. Be sure to go to stormfrontfreaks.com. You can access our library of previous shows, famous guests from the weather industry uh, like Storm Chasers, Picos Hank, uh, Shima was with us once. We also had Daniel Shaw uh, from Australia, just a couple of the chasers that have been with us in the past. But this is episode 73. Uh, we happen to have tonight Storm Chaser Skip Talbot uh, is going to be joining us at the bar tonight. So uh, welcome, Skip is here. Uh, we're also going to get to play another version of our lightning round with our guest. And we'll be sharing some WX resources, and you'll love... Uh, those because uh, we got some great things that you're going to want to add to some of your own resources. Uh, but we also have our new tornado talk and tracker chat segment. So uh, we got a great episode ahead of us. But before we get to all that, it's always happy hour when we record uh, the show. So it just kind of lets you know we've got a fun, laid back nature in what we do. Uh, but it's a great way to also introduce our co-host. So uh, one of the folks we have joining us tonight for the first time uh, is Morgan Clark. Uh, so welcome, Morgan. Hey, Morgan. Uh, so, so Morgan is our intern uh, this spring. She's studying atmospheric science uh, and communication, correct? Yep. Is that right? Okay, so she's at uh, Ohio State University. She's going to be also helping us uh, with the business a little bit behind the scenes, uh, but she'll also be joining us for the broadcast. Tonight's her first one. So uh, we have someone to pick on tonight, Morgan, but uh, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Tonight? I am drinking. I've been uh, following you guys on Twitter with the whole, you know, um, meteorology beers. So I've got, hum- you can't really see it, the lighting. It's Humulus Nimbus by uh, Seventh Sun, uh-huh. and I'm drinking it out of my little Ohio State mug. Beautiful. Go Bucks. Yes. Nice. You're so. giving a little love to the Bucks. All right. Well, MJ is back <laughs> with us as well. MJ, what are you drinking tonight? I am tonight. I have a Yellow Belly Small Batch Hard Cider. It's uh, barrel-aged. It's uh, uh, bottled right here in Mora, Minnesota. It's a local. You, you are what you drink, you know. Yeah, well. A little, a little more. I think every town in Minnesota has got some kind of brewery or distillery or something, correct? I think so. Fair? I think you have to. Yeah. I know I know Wisconsin does. I remember that much. But Maz, uh, Maz, what are you drinking this evening? Okay, so I'm back with another one that looks like Cold 45, another ginormous bottle. You got a 40? <clears throat> wow. This is a, this is a, a not just for breakfast stout, and it is wow. strong. This thing wow. is wow. like, my, I was sitting next to like two seats away from my wife, and she's like, Man, that is strong. I'm like, I, I know, like, wow. So amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope, hope you make it make it through the show mm-hmm. with us tonight. And then Skip, uh, Skip's joining us, but we're also going to find out what are you drinking tonight, Skip. Hey guys. Uh, yeah, I just got some Cabernet here. So nice red wine tonight. That works. A little Cabernet. So so he's using the lingo earlier before we started the show. Call it the cab. Called the cab. And I'm like, what, what is cab? Okay. All right. So let, let's do this. So for Morgan's first show, uh, we're actually going to give her the, the ability to introduce our guest tonight. She gets that uh, awesome opportunity. So go ahead, Morgan. Yeah. Show's yours. All right. So tonight we have Skip Talbot, a storm chaser from Springfield, Springfield Illinois. Skip Talbot is a software and graphics developer who started roaming the Great Plains and Midwest in search of supercells in tornadoes in 2003. He's logged over 100,000 storm-chasing miles and has documented over 90 tornadoes. Skip has applied his skills to his passion for storm-chasing, developing radar visualizations with video and data overlays to study different events like the 2013 El Reno tornado. He also helps run a nonprofit charity for storm victims called Storm Assist. Now, Skip, let me ask the first question here. What is your favorite phenomena to search? Are you like a supercell guy? Are you into more into tornadoes? What's your what's your forte? Yeah, the, the tornado is the pinnacle. I mean, it's mm. 
It's yeah. The, it's the ultimate catch. So, yeah. So I, you look like, I'm sorry, you look like you're like 21 and you've been chasing for 10 years. <laughs> so you're the youngest storm chaser ever on the planes, right? Yeah, I'm 35 actually, but I started wow. in college. So yeah, I've, I've been going around for a while, but, but yeah, I've got a bit of a baby face. <laughs> So, so I'm going to ask you a little bit, Skip, obviously with your career. So your career, you're kind of in software and graphics. Uh, my, my, my question is, where, how do you tie that career into how you got interested in storm chasing first? Second question to that is, how do you use your skills in software and graphics uh, to maybe help you with storm chasing? Yeah, yeah, great question. So they started off as two completely separate, you know, paths. You know, I was doing one thing over here and another thing over there. Uh, my job was completely independent of my storm chasing hobby, you know, and it just started as an interest for me, something I wanted to go and do. So I just went out into the field and started storm chasing. And meanwhile, I had my own job as a software developer. But the two have now converged where I have folks, atmospheric scientists and and other people asking me, you know, we need help with this software, we need help with this website. And so right now the projects I'm actually working on directly tie into the storm chasing I do. So I'm working with these same scientists out in the field and uh, it's kind of come full circle now where I'm using my skills as a software developer to, to build radar software and websites where we can visualize what these storms are doing. And yeah, I've actually used that out in the field. So I have some of my own custom tools I've written that help me track down a storm um, get a better position on it, actually um, point the cameras that I'm using when I'm out there out in the field. So I, I use kind of a robotic camera dome setup and I have custom software that drives that. So, yeah. How, how was your first one? Everybody has their first storm. So how was your first day storm chasing? What was it like? My first day of storm chasing was, um, was borderline disastrous. Um, it was wildly <laughs> dangerous and reckless. Um, I do not recommend anybody do what I did for my first time. I was in college. Um, I was with my buddies and for, I'd been studying on, about storm chasing for a few years and wanted to go out in the field and do it. But I decided tonight's the night we're going storm chasing. There was a high risk for tornadoes in Illinois. There was a big tornado outbreak underway. Um, I told my college buddies, come on, jump in the car. We're going storm chasing. We had a weather radio, a paper map, and, uh, and that was it. It was nighttime. Okay. There was a major outbreak in progress, and we were just listening to the radio in the darkness. And I found a town name that one of the warnings called out, and we plotted a route, and uh, we got in front of that storm. And we wound up core punching um, a tornado warn supercell in pitch black. And over the roar of the hail, we could just make out the tornado sirens. Uh, my my friends wanted to murder me. Luckily, well, we didn't drive into any tornadoes, but uh, but yeah, it was pretty dangerous. I think you uh, were driving. <laughs> Uh, no, I was you doing the map in the radio. So yeah, <laughs> you had a very faithful driver there. Yes. They were following your instructions. Yeah. Did you, did you get hailed on? Oh yeah. Yeah. We had golf balls coming down in, in, in the pitch black darkness. We couldn't see a thing. And it wasn't your car. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, I think we did take my car. So oh, did you? Okay. That's probably one of the reasons why we kept going. So <laughs> yeah, you thought, hell, that's not my car. It doesn't matter. <laughs> So, hey, I want to quick jump back to your, um, as you're talking about vehicles, so you're talking about this uh, uh, software program that helps your camera. Yeah. Uh, explain that a little bit in yeah, layman's so, terms. <laughs> sure, sure. So when I'm chasing, there have been moments where something's happened behind me or to the side of me, and I can't get a shot of it, you know, because I'm in the car and there's an obstruction, or I, I just can't get a good video shot while we're in motion. So I said, I got to fix this. I got to devise a way to, to, to correct this. So in 2009, I built a, a camera dome. And what it is, it's, it's an acrylic dome that's see-through. And I put that up on top of the roof of my car. And inside is my video camera. I actually have little um, servo motors, um, robot motors that do the pan and tilt of this camera. And then that's connected to the laptop in my vehicle. And then I can actually control via software that I've written with the cameras looking at, I've got a nice little video preview on my screen. So, I mean, there's been times where we've had a tornado literally chasing us down the road and I can just quickly adjust that software and then point that camera straight back and, and be tracking that, that tornado, even though it's behind us. 
is is 2.0 gonna you're gonna teach it how to actually see a tornado and just track it by itself is that uh next evolution yeah you know the <laughs> software is configurable you know i there i do a lot of manual camera work too in fact in the past couple of years that's primarily what i've been doing but yeah i have been working on software that will do some automatic tracking of the so of the storm based on maybe the warning or or just putting in a compass heading um, or just so that it gets a nice stable shot because the, the car is constantly in motion and turning and, and everything and, and getting a nice a nice picture is pretty much what I'm after there. Now, now you're putting stuff together yourself. Where'd you get the dome? I mean, you can't just like go to Home Depot. Hey, I need a dome for. A... Yeah, a, I mean, actually, a lot of the parts I can get from Home Depot, but there are <laughs> a, there are a lot of internet suppliers out there that will will do custom fabrication stuff for you. They'll do laser cutting of plastic parts and. And you can even have stuff 3D printed now, which is really cool. Um, I'm buddy buddy with a with a guy named Brad Goddard, a chaser out of the Quad Cities area, and he he runs his own fabrication shop, and he's made parts for me. But yeah, I can actually. There's websites where you can custom order an acrylic dome, and that will make it to spec for you. So so yeah. How much does that cost? Um. Oh man, it's been a gigantic money pit. I don't even want to try to add it up in my head. I've, bringing back nightmares. I've wasted. I've wasted thousands of dollars building these little contraptions. So some of them didn't work at all, and some of them have worked quite well. So. All right. So I'm going to jump to uh, Skip. There was uh, there was something, and and we had shared it on an episode very early on as a uh, WX resource, but you had done, and I can't remember, I think I saw it at, at, uh, at a chaser con somewhere, but you had done a, a, a repeat of the El Reno tornado and pulled together video footage, uh, from lots of other chasers. And, and I don't know if other people were involved in that with you, but I do know that that, that was a project you had worked on, but it, it was, it was really cool because it could track, uh, the path of the El Reno tornado, and it also allowed you to view the video of any of the chasers around the tornado at the exact moment and, and had it all synced to each other. So you could track a chaser on the north end of it and one on the south end of it and see both views uh, synced exactly at the same time uh, to see different views of that. So I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But my question is, what was the real end game to putting that together? What, what were you trying to accomplish with that? Uh, and what have you accomplished with it? Yeah, so um, what that was is the El Reno survey. And if you want to check it out, go look at it. Just Google El Reno survey and the website will come up and you can use our interactive web tool. And so what we did was after that um, deadly and record-breaking El Reno tornado, um, we wanted to basically find out what that storm did and, and why it did it. And we had this just enormous mass of storm chaser video that's out there. There were hundreds and hundreds of storm chasers on that storm from every position and every angle documenting every aspect of that storm. Um, but the problem is it's, it's all just kind of this uncontrolled mess of data. How do we take all of that and utilize it and make it useful to people that want to study this storm. So Anton Simon, he's an atmospheric scientist out of New York. He's our project lead. He organized our group and, and brought me on as a software developer. And he said, let's take all of this storm chaser footage. Let's put it in one database and let's synchronize it so that um, we have everybody's video down to um, a 30th of a second accuracy. And we know exactly where every chaser is, where they were on, on this storm. And what they did is they actually looked at the lightning strikes in that storm. So there's a flash of lightning, and we can see it in everybody's video. And then we synchronized every single video to that single lightning flash. And that gave us basically an accuracy of one frame of video, which is about a 30th of a second. So we had 90 storm chasers donate video. Um, from this event put in this database. It was all synchronized down very precisely. We got everybody's very specific GPS position using Google Maps. We can look in their video to see exactly where they're positioned. We took all of this data, put it in a database, and then my job was to come in and make an interactive web tool based out of that. So when you go to the website, you'll see an interactive Google Maps display. On top of the map is the radar data from the storm. You'll see the tornado animated across the map um, in real time. 
And then all of those 90 storm chasers, their video and positioning data is in that tool. And you can flip between the different video angles. Um, it's all interactive. You can click on the cars as they move along the map and see who's shooting from this location, who's shooting from that location. So what we wanted to do with this thing is make a research tool that's available to anyone that wants to use this data to learn from the storm. And it's been several years now, but there are still projects and, and research and, and a lot of great work that's coming out of this effort. Um, stuff is still being published. Um, some of our more notable um, um, projects that we've been able to contribute to, Jana Hauser, she's an atmospheric scientist. She works with Howie Bluestein. Um, she used the Rex Pole Mobile radar data from that storm and then compared it with the storm chaser video in our web tool to verify their radar observations from the storm. And they had a really, really surprising discovery. Um, the lowest tilt of the radar beam, they usually discard it because there's too much ground clutter and noise. They, they don't like that data there. It's unreliable. But what they saw in their data was, was really intriguing to them. They noticed that the tornado vortex signature appeared in the lowest tilt first before it appeared higher up in the storm because they're slicing that storm at different heights. They said, hey, this tornado started at the ground first, not up in the storm. Mm -hmm. um, so this looks like a pretty compelling case that we have bottom up tornado genesis. Basically, this tornado spun up from the ground first rather than touching down coming out of the clouds. So um, they normally would find that radar data suspect because it was just in that lowest tilt, but they were able to go back and use our tool and say, okay, at precisely this second when our, our radar beam sweep the storm, um, what were the storm chasers seeing? And sure enough, from multiple angles, we had multiple, there were multiple vortices kicking up from the ground yeah. in the storm chaser video. So yeah, I'm on the site right now. Yeah. It's very cool. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, you guys are like, the human Dorothy are all like those little teeny bits of information yeah. where you can go on the map. This is now I'm also on the call for a data page. Are you still accepting data from people? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we've had people donate shots years after the event and we will still wow. plug it in and make it available for use in the tool. Absolutely. So, and again, there's still discoveries and, and work that's being done with this. So good job, Skip. This is cool. Thanks. Uh, that is cool. All right, hey, our our intern Morgan, you've been pretty <laughs> quiet. You get you. I just I got on I got on the site. I'm oh, I'm you're, you're the... checking it out too. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, <laughs> uh, that that I'm I'm going to ask some fun questions here a little bit. So, Skip, uh, chase alone or with others? Um, both. Um, okay. I I usually try to have my um, regular chase partner with me, Jennifer Brindley. Yep. And uh, and. But I'll go solo too. But it's always nice having the extra eyes, extra help in the car, and and somebody you know that you click with, and it makes you such a better chaser. So so, so when you so when you have a chase partner, how how do you divvy up your uh, duties? Uh, how, how do you guys, you and Jennifer, split that up? Yeah, um, I do most of the driving and most of I would say kind of the the radar nav, and um, and Jen, she is looking out the window and shooting she's doing stills and i'm doing video and i try to again with the camera dome and my camera mounts and stuff i try to let my video run autonomously so that i can focus on the drive and, and the rest of the chase but yeah she's actively um, doing all of our photography so and then and really doing most of our storm spotting because i'm focused on the road she's it's up to her to find you know the structure that we're looking at so when you're picking volunteers and stuff, are you, do you have like a, a survey? And one of the questions is like, do you have a strong bladder? Can go for hours without having to go to the bathroom? Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You mean like when I'm having people come with me? Yeah, because I'm, I'm down to 15 minutes and I almost have to go again. Yeah, so Matt, you're out. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, having the, the, a large bladder is is one of the <laughs> one of the the best skills you can have as a storm chaser for sure. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's another fun question. Top five things you need to have access to when you're chasing uh, besides your vehicle. So top five things besides your vehicle while you're chasing uh, that you need to have access to. Mm. Catheter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, we actually um, we actually talked about putting in a relief tube in the vehicle, <laughs> and uh, wow. you know, just drill you drill a hole through the floor and run some polyurethane through there. Yeah, no funnel. Yeah, man. Um, no, Morgan's um, <laughs> not coming back. By the way. She's, uh, I, she's I, I'll go. Oh, I'm, I'm not going. No. I actually have a really funny story about that. So I, I actually chased in the tornado intercept vehicle for a while too, and and inside the tiv. They actually have a hatch in the floor for that very purpose. Um, you just open up the hatch, but the problem is there's so much wind that comes in. It just oh. absolutely doesn't work. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so, so yeah, visual. Top, top five things. Um, so I try to break it down into categories. And so I don't really even know if you need five. So five um, things like, you know, think uh, either either sites, uh, websites that you got to use or obviously to use it oh, you sure. need to have your phone okay. or a laptop. Yeah. Um, yeah, like any of those things. Yeah. So number one is you need some form of navigation. And that varies from chaser to chaser. A lot so of what's yours? What's yours? Um, I use a uh, my laptop with a GPS puck and Delorme Street Alice is the software that I use. So okay. um, a lot of more modern chasers are just using their phone and Google Maps. And uh, after that, you need some data. And again, modern chasers, they're using radar scope on their phone. Um, I do as well, but I also have a 21-inch touchscreen I put in my car because I, I absolutely can't use a little tiny screen when I'm chasing. It drives me crazy. So I have a giant screen in my car, and on top of that, I have radar and my nav right there on a touch screen, so I can just very quickly poke the screen and see what I need to see. Well, so, so that's that's four things. So you have your GPS puck, you have your touch screen, you have your maps, and you have radar scope. You got one more thing. Yeah. Okay. One more thing. It's the College of DuPage's website because I can get all of my Model. forecasting. Yeah, models and satellite and current observations. It's it's like my one it's like my one stop go to shop. So, yeah. If you've That's got awesome. a if you've got a blue sky bust and you got a twenty one inch screen, do you ever like I'm gonna watch Lion King now? Is oh, absolutely. Gonna... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We put out a movie when we're doing. <laughs> sure, you better believe it. All right. Hey, so last, I want to hear a little bit uh, about more about uh, Storm Assist uh, and that organization and kind of what you've been doing lately with them. Yeah, Storm Assist is just a loose-knit group of storm chasers. We're, we're all volunteers. We came together and we said, hey, how can we help the people that we see impacted by these storms that we're out there documenting? And so we came up with various ways to raise um, money for victims of storms and tornadoes. And, and what we do is every year, we everyone donates their video and their, their beautiful photographs, and we assemble those into productions like a DVD and a Blu-ray. We have an annual storm chasing DVD, and uh, we sell that, and then 100% of the profits from that go to storm victims. So um, we use that as a fundraiser, and then the next tornado that hits, it does damage or hurts people, um, we get together and we say, hey, how can we send money to this community? Well, we're a small group. Um, our donations are relatively small, so instead of them just going to, say, the Red Cross, where we get kind of lost in the overhead. We, we try to actually go directly to the community. So we've donated to pet shelters, um, schools. Um, we've given debit cards out to, to actual residents who have been hit by these storms just so that our small contributions have the most impact. So That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that is. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Well, I'll tell you what. Hey, we're going to take a short break. Uh, go ahead and refill your drink and check out our tracker chat with the Tornado Trackers. They're discussing their favorite states to chase in. Uh, we'll be right back with our question of the week. Welcome back to Tracker Chat with the Tornado Trackers. I'm your host, Jeremy Heyman. I am joined by my chasing partners, Gabe Cox and Jeff Mangum. Uh, we want to just chat a little bit today about our favorite states in the U.S. to chase storms. So I think probably everybody has uh, their own opinion, their own favorite, but we will let Jeff Mangum kick us off. Jeff, what is your favorite state to chase in? Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I've chased in Idaho. Um, I bet it's great. Um, I think uh, for me, it would be as 
northern plains as possible. Um, the flatter, the better. I, because one of the things that that I like, and and really even the like the way I like to uh, photograph storms and video storms is as much space as possible and as much storm structure as possible. And that's probably true for just about every storm chaser. But, um, I think for me, I think, uh, Kansas has always treated me well. Uh, Nebraska has treated me well. I love, uh, getting into some of those, uh, central Northern plains and having as much space to operate as possible. Even if you're not on the tornado, you're still getting a great visual of the entire storm structure. And that serves as enough for me until I can get to a possible tornado. I, I think um, Texas is unique and it depends on what part of Texas. Texas is, I've always said, is like four states in one. Um, love the Texas Panhandle. And for a lot of the similar reasons, I love the central Northern Plains, but it's just flat and uh, the road networks are not too bad. Um, and so uh, what I do not like is central Texas, northeast or east Texas. That is jungle or it is hill country that becomes very difficult to to get uh, a view, not only on a tornado, but even storm structure in general. So uh, give me the plains all day long or the panhandle in Texas. I'm going to put you on the spot. You got to pick one. What do you pick? All right. I'm going to give Texas panhandle. Mm. I think there's some unique okay. stuff unique stuff that happens there and it really is uh it is so big. I mean it's so wide open but um there is just nothing getting in the way of your shot. Awesome. Very cool. Texas Panhandle from Jeff Mangum. Gabe Cox, what is your favorite state to chase in? Oh boy. Um let's see. Well, I can tell you where I don't like to chase is my home state of Florida. If you love chasing in swamp and the jungle, and then getting cut off by the ocean, Florida's all yours. It's hard to choose just one, but I think if I had to choose, uh, I'm with Jeff about high plains. Flatter the better. I think Colorado, the plains of Colorado, have definitely treated me well. Mm-hmm. And in Colorado plains are elevated, so you can generally squeeze out a tornado with less than favorable conditions as you would need in the plains. And I have seen some real beauties out in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. High-based, white funnels, really gorgeous. Lots of dirt. Oh, yeah. Lots of dirt. Yeah, that's that's another great thing about it is the reddish-brown soil there. When it gets mixed up in a funnel against the blue-greens of the storm, it makes for an extremely photogenic tornado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to change my answer to Colorado. No, you Too bad. <laughs> Well, thanks for that, Gabe. Yeah, for me, uh, I born and raised in Nebraska, so I have to say Nebraska. Uh, we definitely follow the the idea of always chase Nebraska. It's just a, a magical place, obviously very flat, pretty good roads. I-80 runs all the way through it, um, grid system there as well. So really gorgeous um, storms, especially in the panhandle. Uh, it's the sand hills, and so there's kind of like a – uh, surface of the moon feel of of the Nebraska Panhandle that's really really gorgeous. So I I yeah always chase Nebraska. Man, nobody nobody chose Oklahoma. <laughs> Controversial. Right. One place that I haven't chased, or two places I haven't chased that I'd love to, are the Dakotas up into Canada, mm. and Ooh. that's that's a dream. Yeah, I'm gonna make that happen. Yeah, the Canadian chaser scene is real and alive, and those dudes are real, and ladies uh, are super talented chasers up there in Canada. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, that was Tracker Chat on the subject of our favorite states to chase in. Uh, it looks like we rounded it out with uh, Nebraska, Colorado, and the panhandle of Texas. Yeah, tell us your favorite state. To chase in uh, on Twitter at Tornado Trackers. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, you can find us everywhere else on social media at Tornado Trackers. We just released a great 2018 year in review highlight video. It's really great. It's only two and a half minutes, so definitely worth your time. Um, you can also check us out at tornadotrackers.org. But this has been Tracker Chat. I'm Jeremy Heyman, and I've been joined by my chasing partners, Gabe Cox 
and Jeff Mangum, and we will catch you next time. FelicityDesigns.com is the leader in weather-themed clothing and accessories for the Stormfront Freakin' You. Besides a creative line of weather-themed t-shirts, footwear, bags, and more, they also carry an exclusive line of Stormfront Freaks podcast gear and drinkware. Get a 5% discount on your entire order when you use the code SFF for Stormfront Freaks at checkout. That code again is SFF. Find it all at FelicityDesigns.com. Hey, welcome back, uh, everybody. Hey, we're with Storm Chaser Skip Talbot, uh, and we're going to bring up uh, the question of the week uh, for this episode. So recently, AccuWeather has come out with their real impact hurricane scale, uh, and I I believe it's still um, a one through five kind of a scale, but they're trying to take into account all the other threats of a hurricane uh, with their scale system, and there's a lot of pushback in the weather community because is it too uh, confusing now? We're giving the public multiple information, whether it's the Safford Simpson scale that's currently being used uh, by most, and now we're giving them some other scale. My question really comes down to this, which I think is is what's getting missed, um, because both use a single digit. And trying to assign a single digit to a hurricane that brings the threat of wind, surge, flooding, tornadoes, uh, is trying to give that a single digit, is that still too simplistic? Is that not, is that not enough information for the public? Or it, do we need to keep it simple for the public? And, and I think that's an important question, but I'll start with our guest, Skip. What do you think of all that? I think a system like that um, has its uses, and it could be really helpful for, say, getting the public attention uh, and letting people know and keeping them informed. I'm a really big fan of a very localized and specific forecast, having your local weather service come in and give specific advice to communities. Now, my folks live down in Florida now. I'm not a hurricane guy, I'm a tornado guy. I actually don't know too much about the tropical end of meteorology, uh, but but my folks live down in Florida now and they have to deal with hurricanes and you know, they they get their forecasts from the local National Weather Service office. And uh, because they live on a canal, they're most interested in the, what the surge is doing. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a one to five number going to tell them if they need to leave or not. No, I mean, they, they actually have to go and, and get a surge forecast. And so that's where, you know, somebody like the NWS can come in and say, hey, you know, if you live at such and such place, we're expecting 12 foot surge. You need to get out. You know, if you're on the canals, so. do, they, do they know where to find that information? Yeah. Yeah. And do you think the general public knows where to find that information? Um, a, a lot of them don't. And, um, you know, it can be a little bit of an overload, but I mean, there is a lot of information out there. So I guess that's one of the benefits to say having an AccuWeather system where, you know, they're going to give you a number and say, uh oh, you know, hey, this is kind of an attention getting device, you know. Um, where do I go to learn more now? So, so hopefully they're tuning into lots of channels at that point, and then not just you know trying to go off of a very simplistic system. But yeah, Maz, what what what's your thought being a former TV guy? Well, first of all, I didn't know that AccuWeather had that scale. <clears throat> I was unaware of that. But uh, but I, and I agree with Skip. I'm all for more information. Um, but. I also know there's a lot of lay people out there who are like, they, they barely know the Saffir Simpson scale and giving them something else. I think it could be used in conjunction with, I don't think I would ever replace it um, just because it would, how long would it take for people to unlearn one thing and gather something new where you get everybody that's all on board with the new stuff. I mean, I could see using it in conjunction, but I just, I wasn't familiar with it. I didn't even know it was out there. So, so yeah. to, to just to bring up for folks. So the Safford Simpson scale is what, what's typically been used in, you know, category one through five hurricane, but it strictly measures only the wind, wind speed. Uh, and that's the only thing that it measures. So it really doesn't bring into account and, and what Skip was talking about and even Maz is, 
you know, it, it doesn't tell you what the surge potential is going to be, sure. the the rain and flooding potential uh, that might be coming with it, tornadoes, all that stuff. Um, so, th- again, that's kind of the question, and that's what AccuWeather is trying to do with their their category system is also take into account those other things. So, uh, you know, Safford Simpson scale might go, hey, this is a category two hurricane, uh, but because of maybe the flooding potential, because it's moving so slow, uh, AccuWeather might give it a Category 4 because of the uh, you know torrential rain and, and flooding that might come with it. But again, just saying it's Category 4 still doesn't tell me necessarily what's coming with that. But MJ, were, were you going to mention something? Well, well, you know, I mean, there's some good conversation going on in the chat, too, about it. And there people are people are thinking that, you know, they have... AccuWeather's onto something, but they're maybe not doing it right yet. And for my purposes, it's if there if it's a and I wasn't Maz, I wasn't aware of it either. So, um, but if it uh, um, if it's a one to five scale, I think that's just plain confusing. When you know you have two different one through five scales, I mean, I think if they're going right. to do that more than provide, one. yeah, and provide more information, it has to be different in some way, so it doesn't confuse people. Now, I wonder, though, I mean, because you, you got to think of it almost as two different groups of people and then <clears throat> sort of a subset of each other where you've got uh, the community that's very used to the Saffron Simpson scale. And then maybe you have the younger community, the millennials, et cetera, who are very tech savvy, where maybe there's an app that will actually break it down more specifically. I'm all for the more information. So like, like I said, you know, Skip's parents are down there and they're, they're able to pull up an app and say in this specific area, the threat of a six, eight foot storm surge is this high. That's, that's more information that's helpful. I just, I'm, I'm very careful to change the way things have been. Mor- Morgan, pers- Morgan, what do you think? what do you think? Did you, were you familiar with uh, what AccuWeather was doing and What's the um, hubbub? I, I heard about it from you, actually, during our interview, wow. Amber, discussing awesome. that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think uh, I think keep, keeping it simple is a good idea. I know my communication classes, they teach us keep, like, if you're writing for the general public, you're going to want to do it for a fourth grade level because that's, mm-hmm. you know, the average not reading level or just, you know, it's general public. So. Right. Comprehensions. Yeah. Um. So, you know, keeping it from a one to nine scale is fine. I think, you know, it would be nice to shift uh, for, you know, tornadoes, storm surge, flooding potential, and then maybe add, like, change the current Saffir Simpson scale to, like, a subset of that. Like, oh, it's a category six hurricane, but with winds, you know, the winds are category three, you know, I don't know, because I feel that the storm surge is really, really important when it comes to hurricane damage. So I think that, um, I don't know. I feel like we've seen, I feel like I don't have enough, um, (laughs) enough experience in this, but I I think it's mostly up to the broadcasters. People trust their broadcasters and especially in, you know, I'm sure Florida and Texas, they need to know their hurricane stuff around the Gulf and the coast. So, um, it's really up to them communicating what's important. Now, I will tell you, Morgan, <clears throat> when I was on the air, we were supposed to explain to a fifth grade level, and now you're saying fourth grade. Are things getting worse <laughs> out there? I think it's uh, autocorrect, you know. <laughs> People are saying the letter U instead of Y-O-U and all that. Okay. But what, yeah. Do you think it would be too complicated to do to still maybe have a category one through five, but you – rank a category for each of those threats. You have a, a wind scale threat, keep Safford Simpson wind scale threat, um, but you also have a category one through five surge threat, one through five um, flooding maybe, threat. Maybe like a like a letter scale. Um, I was thinking about this, comparing it. I have like R2, curly, D2. Well, <laughs> I, have, I have curly hair. So for curly hair people, there's like different types. There's like 3A curls. I don't know if any curly hair girls are listening to this, but there's, you know, a different texture and then there's a different kind of coil. If we could do categories like one through five and then, you know, an A flooding, you know, it's not that, it's not going to be, you know, detrimental to property damage or like an E, you know, that's, that's Harvey damage. So um, 
That would I, be I interesting. Know, I didn't know there was a what. What would my well, number I mean, be uh, for my hair? It'd be a double zero. Double zero. Double yes. zero. So, so Phil, it's interesting that you you guys are bringing that up about you know stick with the uh, Stafford Simpson scale, um, but have subcategories. One of our one of our viewers um, had just suggested that just before you said it um, hmm. about stick with I it, like but it. Ca categorize each different impact. And he said, like they do with percentages on the SBC outlooks. Um, but you've got some other interesting ideas. And too. again, I don't know if that gets too complicated either. Yeah, I, I, right. I mean, that maybe there's a, a reason why people are doing these just one through five. But I, I just think it would make more sense to, to even if I'm on TV saying, "All right, everybody, uh, it's a you know it's a Category Three hurricane on the Safford Simpson wind scale." But understand, they are forecasting this to be a Category Five flooding threat because of the speed, and and you know, I don't know. Or Morgan, a Category Three with pink curlers as opposed to the blue. <laughs> yeah. That's right. There That's you go. right. Yeah. yeah, interesting. All right. Well, uh, it, we're always interested to hear what uh, what you, our our listener or viewer, has to say. So feel free let it, let us know, guys. Uh, uh, send us an email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com. Or find us on uh, Twitter at Stormfront Freak, and uh, maybe let us know what you think, or, or uh, let us know what your questions are. Uh, but hey, that is the sign. It is time for our lightning round. So this is our game show of flash, uh, flashy questions for our guests. We invite uh, everybody to play along, including you. Uh, and tonight, so Skip, uh, we're going to play. I don't know if you're familiar with Family Feud, uh, but we're going to play a little Family Feud Roach Motels. So you're a chaser, and so obviously uh, on the road, you, you got to pick some motels to stay at sometimes if you're doing a multi-day chase. Uh, so we're doing uh, Family Feud Roach Motels. So we're going to play this like Family Feud. Our freaks, they are one family, and you, you're all by yourself. So it's like you're chasing alone today, but you are your own family. So what I'm going to do, so we have our top ten answers on the board, uh, and I'm going to start uh, first with you, and then I'll go to, I'll pick one of the freaks, and whichever one of you picks the highest uh, ranking one, you'll have the choice of either keeping it and going with the whole thing before you get three strikes, or you can pass it, hoping that the other team uh, will get three strikes before guessing it all, and you can steal it. So just like Family Feud. Uh, so here's how this works. So this is according to the American Customer Satisfaction Index, uh, which 10 hotel chains receive the lowest scores? Right, why we're calling it Roach Motels? Uh, which ten hotel chains received the lowest scores? So we're throwing some people under the bus tonight, but Skip, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what hotel chain do you think received the lowest customer satisfaction score? Red Roof Inn. Red Roof Inn. <laughs> uh, Red Roof Inn. Uh, no, Red Roof Inn is not on that list. Wow. Really? Now, now it's it's possible that they weren't uh, surveyed. I I don't know that for sure. But Red Roof Inn is not on, so I'm going to go to uh, MJ for the freaks. Uh, what what would you say? Motel Six. Motel Six. That is number two on the board. So freaks, you guys can either keep it and try and guess them all before three strikes, or you can pass it to Skip. He can try and guess them all before three strikes. And hopes to pass. Mess Make Skip yes, do it. Yeah. All right, Skip, <laughs> Skip is all you, baby. You're chasing hey, alone tonight. Because we don't want to blow our potential 10 sponsors in the future. Okay, yeah, we're, we're going this for sure. <laughs> all right, so Skip, so uh, Motel 6 is already on the board. Who else do you think might oh, be on there? Oh, God, I always try to stay at quirky little mom and pop joints just because of this. Um, Super 8. Super 8? I, that I, would be number one. Number on one, of course. Oh, for of course. worst customer satisfaction. So uh, Super 8 and Motel 6 on the board. You still have 3 through 10. Gosh, I'm even blanking to come up with any more. Um, days in. Days in. That is number four on the list. <laughs> All right. Good job. Yeah. Think, and again, these are pretty well-known hotel chains, uh, and some of them, truthfully, you might not think are really that bad, but they were in the bottom 10 of this list of, I think <laughs> it was maybe 25, 30 uh, hotel chains. I can't pass. I can't pass, can I? 
I, no, I you don't cannot have, pass. So I'm, I don't have your, anything else. It's your first strike. You can't think of another hotel chain. I can, but there's no way they're on the list. Well, they're nice. Well try it. lose at this point. Oh, Let him God. stay. No. What do you think? <laughs> they won't think? let you stay there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like we always try because. Jen has uh, a friends and family discount that we use all the time at stuff like the Marriott. So there's there's no way they're on there. And, you know, I'm thinking of Best Western and Hyatt's. And, and those are all really nice hotels. So, But pick I mean, one. Go ahead and pick one. What do you think? Even Just one you know. They might not be on there. But it's better than taking three strikes without even guessing. Cause... <laughs> um, gosh. Oh, well, how about La Quinta? La Quinta, number eight on the list. <laughs> Very good, coming through there. All right, still got three, five, six, seven, nine, and ten. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, gosh, where have we stayed? We've stayed at some real dives. Um, gosh, um, I like microtels, but are are they on there? Microtels <laughs> are not on okay. there. That is your okay. second strike. Um, and again, realize that some of these are okay hotels. They just happen to be at the bottom of this list. Doesn't mean they're yeah. horrible, but they just weren't up there with the really good ones. Um, gosh, the Holiday Inn. That, Holiday Inn. They, they always have really nice hotels too. All right. Well, too yeah. too bad because I already took that as your answer. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so that's three strikes. So how this works with Family Feud? It goes back over to the freaks. They can steal it if they can still pick one that's on the board. If they can't, then it's going to go back to Skip, and he wins it. So, Freaks, uh, feel free to talk amongst yourself. Uh, we'll make MJ uh, the captain. But yeah, uh, what do you guys think? Maz, what do you think? Com comfort uh, you know, in? I was thinking oh, comfort, comfort in. in. Comfort, yeah. I hadn't thought of that one. Hadn't thought of that okay, let, let's go with that. We're going with comfort in. We're going with comfort in. No. That is oh. not on the board. That's a, really? That was a good guess. That's a good one. Yeah. So Skip, you win it, buddy. Way to go, man. <laughs> you win the lightning round. So let, let me cover uh, the ones that are still here on the board. So number three was the Econolodge. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, number yeah. five uh, was the Ramada. Uh. Ramada? Which, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll be honest with you, though. They're they're kind of they're kind of low end. Uh, yeah. Number six is Quality. Quality Inns. Okay. Oh, I was uh, thinking that one, too. Number seven, uh, Sheraton. Uh -huh. Number seven. Okay. Really? And then Skip. Skip, number nine, Best Western. Best Western. Oh. That was down there. And then still finishing 10th, uh, but just making it in that bottom 10 was the Baymont Inn and Suites. Huh. huh. Uh, so Not there you enough. go. Look at that. We surprised everybody. Where was everybody. this found? Uh, this was the American Customer Satisfaction Index. Didn't even so, know there was one. There you go. Well, there is. So, hey, we're going to take our final hey, break. Hey, oh, let's, let's ask Skip where how to find him and follow. Oh, him. yeah. Sorry about that, Skip. Yeah. What? What's? Uh, where can people find you or follow you? Whether social media or email, or website. Yeah, I'm. I'm scattered on the web. It's. Uh, you can get my my videos at YouTube.com/skiptelvet. Um, I have a website. It's skip.cc. So if you want to see my storm chasing logs and I've got some resources on there like weather model links and, and other stuff like that. And I'm also on Facebook. So just look me up and um, happy to take followers and, and friends too. And you can also find Skip at some of the finest shared ends out there. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you. We're, we are going to go ahead and take our final break. We got some. Uh, we got a new tornado talk segment with the story of the February two thousand nine Lone Grove, Oklahoma tornado. Uh, were you there for that one, Skip? No. You were not. Okay. Well, you can find out about it when you listen to uh, our show. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be right back. We'll share some uh, WX resources for you. So. I'll be right back. There have been over 50 documented February tornadoes within the state of Oklahoma since records began in 1950. During the afternoon and evening of February 10th, 2009, six tornadoes hit the state. Five affected the Oklahoma City and Edmond areas in central Oklahoma, and one would become the strongest and deadliest February tornado on record for the state. 
This tornado developed in Texas in Montag County, south of Spanish Fort. It tracked 2.36 miles to the Red River with winds up to 100 miles per hour. Most of the damage was to pecan trees up to 30 inches in diameter. Witnesses reported a multi-vortex tornado that was starting to organize into a larger twister as it crossed the Red River into Oklahoma. Most of the damage early in the Oklahoma track was sporadic, mainly to some structures and trees. Once the tornado reached Carter County, its width had grown to 880 yards. The twister produced EF4 damage in the Lone Grove area and in the Majestic Hills area north of Ardmore. Maximum winds were estimated between 166 and 200 miles per hour. For the storm data publication, numerous mobile homes were completely obliterated, with few recognizable pieces left. Also, numerous vehicles were rolled or thrown, some for considerable distances. In the Majestic Hills neighborhood, at least eight homes and a small private school were destroyed. All in all, in Carter County, a total of 114 homes were damaged or destroyed. Debris was carried as far away as Sulphur. That's about 40 miles away from Lone Grove. There was an estimated 46 injuries during this tornado event. Eight fatalities occurred in the Lone Grove area. Six occurred in mobile homes. One was in a well-built home that sustained EF4 damage. And one fatality occurred when a truck was hit by the tornado on I-55, killing the driver. An article in the Daily Oklahoman from February 12, 2009 tells the story of Donnie Holybee and his Aunt Patricia Mapp. Patricia was bedridden with cancer and emphysema and was unable to be moved from her bed before the tornado hit. Her nephew hugged her tight, protecting her the best he could when the tornado slammed into the home. A window air conditioner hit Donnie in the head. His aunt had cuts and bruises. They both survived. A detailed summary about this event and more can be found on our website at TornadoTalk.com. This includes maps, images, and newspaper clips. Do you have tornado stories or pictures you would like to share? We would love to hear from you. Go to the Contact Us portion in the About section of our website and send us an email. You can get hooked on more tornado history by following us on social media. Hello, everyone. This is Pecos Hank Shima, and you're listening to Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Let's take a drive under the moon. Let's take a drive. All right, welcome back. Time now for WX Resources. These are locations you can find some very cool and awesome weather-related stuff. To kick us off, we're going to go ladies first. Morgan, what do you have for us? Okay, guys. So today I have for you, I'm plugging my own organization, but the Meteorology Club at Ohio State, we are putting on our 23rd annual severe weather symposium, which is older than myself now. Um, And I guess it's always been older than me, but I just realized it today. Uh, So that will be on March 28th. We can, you know, put the link to register on the, um, you know, the Show notes. notes. Yep. Uh, but that's all right. You're an intern. That'll be a, yes, okay. yes. I'm new. I'm new. First, but uh, Thursday. It'll be on a Thursday this year. It's usually on Friday. So if any of you guys listening ever go, it's usually on Friday. It'll be on Thursday at Ohio State in Columbus. Um, and we've got quite a bit of speakers. We actually have like a lot of female speakers. I think probably the most we've ever had, which is really exciting. Um, and a diverse uh, speaker list. We've got some. Uh, emergency managers and some people talking like some meteorologists, hydrologists, climatology and uh, broadcasters. So it it's going to be pretty interesting this year. I'm pretty excited about it and it'll be into March. So thought I'd let you all know. And, you know, that's where I heard of Stormfront Freaks was at the Meteorology Club Symposium. There? Yeah. Yeah. Was two, I was there two years ago. Were you there? Yeah, I was there. I was I've like been there the last three years. Wow. Okay. Well, good. Good to know we had an impact on you. Yeah. I at least, yeah, I remembered you guys. <laughs> For all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Maz, so don't get really excited like, about that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. Let's see. Uh, Skip, you've got one. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple of you if you want. Um, uh, I have another event if you're interested. Um, anybody near the Chicago area or the Midwest, uh, there is the DuPage County Advanced Severe Weather Seminar on March 16. 
coming up this spring, and I will be speaking at that event. And they do a great job every year putting on an amazing seminar with lots of really interesting speakers and hundreds of people attend. Um, it's, it's a great event if you want to check it out. And uh, College of DuPage always has a, has a really big presence there. And they provide a, a lot of the resources that I use when I'm storm chasing. So I, I can't plug them enough. So that would be my other big weather resource is just the guys over at COD. And, uh, and their site is weather.cod.edu. And um, again, that's pretty much how I plan all of my storm chasing. But yeah, there's a, a seminar um, coming up and I'll be speaking there. And actually, uh, hey, goes Hank Shima, who you've had on your, had on your show sure. before. He's going to be speaking there too. So oh, cool. come check it out. Nice. He'll, yeah. be, he'll be bringing snakes with him too, right? Yeah. <laughs> His guitar, he'll bring that with him. Absolutely. There's got to be a concert going on that night at some bar. If I ever fall into like a den of vipers... I want Pecos there because he's like <laughs> the magic guy. Back up, snakes. You know, like, holy crud. Anyway. Okay, go ahead, Phil. What do you have? Did you just say holy crud? I did. Sorry. Did. Oh, yeah. my God. God, okay. I'm going to have to edit that out. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, Grandma's Sorry. not going to like that language, yeah. buddy. All right. So, yeah, mine's pretty simple. My WX resource uh, I was pretty uh, – I heard about this on Twitter, but – uh, if you go, you could pull up and download the Discovery Channel app or just go to the Discovery Channel website. Uh, they now have five, uh, all five seasons of Storm Chasers, the series, with uh, Reed Timmer, who's been a past guest, uh, the late Tim Samara, Sean Casey, Josh Worman, um, who's also been with uh, uh, Karen Kasiba, who's been a past guest with us as well. But they're all on that series, but you can get it free. Uh, go to uh, pull up the Discovery Channel app or go to Discovery uh, Channel's uh, website and feel free to watch all five seasons. Go ahead and stream it. But uh, pretty pretty fun stuff in February uh, when things aren't quite brewing, but maybe Saturday. We'll see. Isn't there just four seasons? There are four. Five seasons. Okay, I'm just checking. Show. Okay. Oh, crud. Oh, crud. You're right. (laughs) All right. All right. And of course, you can check out all these links and more on stormfrontfreaks.com. Excuse me. Episode 73 show notes or on your podcast app as well. Right, Phil? Yes, you can. All right. So, hey, we got MJ back. We're going to go ahead and check our, uh, we got a new name for our inbox. It's the Freak Fan Box. Uh, So, we got to check our Freak. Fan yes. bo- I can't even say that, uh, yeah, say that three times fast. fast. Yeah, but what do we got, MJ? All that alliteration. Yeah, we uh, we had a couple. We had a couple in the fan box from a few weeks ago. But of course, I was MIA for episode seventy-two, um, and I I don't think you opened the box, right? So I did not. No, nope, I saved it for you. Good. So a little love for our episode seventy-one guests, Mark Remillard and Bobby Nichols, with the Outbreak Storm Chasing video game. Uh, when at JClick sixty-five said, "Great show, can't wait to do a little armchair chasing." Uh, with Outbreak Game, maybe they can play the At Stormfront Freaks podcast in the background. So, nice suggestion. Um, at Rel Weather Watch one, <laughs> so <laughs> that, three yeah, times yeah, exactly. Says I watched the podcast, loved it, and can't wait until the game is released. So, thank you for those comments, and we always love to hear from all of you. So, um, please keep them coming. Uh, into the freak fan box yeah and you can get to the freak fan box uh, go ahead and send us an email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com uh, or you can find us on uh, facebook or twitter um, uh, twitter we're at stormfront freak so uh so that just about does it for this episode of stormfront freaks podcast thanks for listening or watching but before i reveal our next guest if you enjoy our show do us a favor uh, leave us a great review on your podcast app Uh, And don't forget to subscribe to the show by hitting your podcast app subscribe button. It just works like a magazine or newspaper subscription, uh, except ours is free. It just assures you get the latest show delivered right to your inbox the minute or your freak fan box, I guess, uh, the moment that we release it. So, hey, special uh, thanks to our guest tonight, Skip Talbot. Skip, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we had a great time, so thanks for coming on. And our next episode in two weeks, it's National Weather Podcast Month, and we're going to be recording on March 7th as we continue going coast to coast 
with your favorite TV meteorologists, and we'll be talking to Brad Souter of San Antonio. Uh, he's the chief meteorologist on TV down there. If you'd like to watch the recording live, you can do so. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Uh, check us out on the YouTube channel. Uh, just go to YouTube, search Stormfront Freaks, and you'll find us there. So for MJ, for Maz, for Skip, and the intern Morgan, first time you, you made it through. <laughs> We're right. proud of you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead I and see I had a nightmare clear. about this. Oh, my God. We did, too. We did, all right. too. I'm going to signal the all clear, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. Goodbye. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi-weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Watch our shows on YouTube and Oklahoma Weather Tracker TV. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our live interactive Storm Chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.